welcome everyone to episode 40 of Ichabod's House. That's really exciting. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Yeah. I'm Andy here with my beautiful co-host, Jen. I'm I'm Jen and I'm excited. My heart is She's actually Twitter-pated. I am Twitter-pated. And this one, Jen entitled Bell Gunnis and her many cousin lovers, which made me say ew in a very high volume. So yeah, we're going to continue the story of Belle Gunnis today, who was just a real bitch and not very pretty. I mean, it's kind of, you know, you think, well, at least she's pretty and she lured guys in that way. But she didn't. Mm-mm. She didn't. Not very pretty. No. I think Kind of like a Yosemite Sam. It was more of her land Body. that people were after. And she did have a Yosemite Sam. She had those tiny little feet. And then she mm-hmm. kind of was a, mm-hmm. a weeble, a weeble. Wobbles. She was a weeble with teeny tiny feet. Mm-hmm. Oh, like the like the little people on Wreck It Ralph. That's what she was like. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So um, anyway, so we're excited to get to that. But first, I don't think we have a Google and Beyond, or do we? No, I don't. Okay, no Google and Beyond. So Ichabod's nose. You got an Ichabod's nose? I do. Dirk Gently, holistic detective, on Hulu. I thought you were going to tell me a pornographic sentence. No. Dirk gently laid his throbbing. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. No. Dirk gently, holistic detective on Hulu. It is really quirky and super funny. It's a series. Elijah Wood is in it. It I love him. It is unpredictable. You never know exactly what's going on. It's a breath of fresh air. Watch it. Awesome. Okay, my Ichabod's nose pick is a slimy, runny, really green one, brand mm. new from, well, I don't know. Yeah, it is brand new, I think, because there's only one season on Netflix, okay. and it's called Timber, eh? Eh. Eh. Eh, then, It's eh? filmed in Vancouver, Canada, eh? Eh. And it's about this married couple who have a mill. And he said that a few in the opening, he says, a few years ago, my wife and I took a big chance and they bought their own. Well, they I think they said they bought their own claim, which means that they have they bought a part of a mountain, I guess. Kevin is his name. And I I forget her name. I think it's Sarah. But anyway, they bought this claim in Canada, which is basically like a section of a mountain or whatever. And then they just go log it. Now, they don't show how they cut down the tree. So I don't know if the trees were already you know, cut down or what. But anyway, it's there's a little danger, a little drama, because Coleman, his right-hand man, wasn't doing his... Anyway, I put it on to fall asleep to, and I ended up loving it. Who knew I'd love a show about timber logging in Canada, eh? <laughs> so anyway, there's that. And then I've been watching Monk a little bit. All right. Well, today... We're going to continue our coverage of Belle Gunnis, Hell's Princess. And I want to start out by saying we called her Belle Gunnell or Gunnell more than a few times last week. And that's my bad. It is Gunnis. I don't know why I kept saying Gunnell at any rate. When we left last week, Belle was being interrogated by Bo Bowell. Bowell. No. By Bo Bowell. Physician and coroner for Laporte, Indiana. Dr. Bowell was trying to get 
to the bottom of how exactly a meat grinder fell from the top shelf of the stove and landed on Peter's head. One could say earthquake. One could. But I don't know if earthquakes are that prevalent in Indiana. I don't know. Yeah, not aware of any fault lines. Right. He was also trying to determine how Peter's nose had ended up broken and smashed. Because wasn't he fell, found face down? Mm-hmm. And his nose was all broken to hell. Bell was Couldn't no help. Could that be from the fall, though? Yeah, it could. It could. Could. Okay. Bell was no help whatsoever. She had been under the impression that the only thing wrong with Peter was that the brine she'd boiled for her famous head cheese had spilled on his neck somehow as he tried to get his shoes from the stove. And since the burn happened the same time a meat grinder landed on top of his head, things were all kinds of confusing. Sadly, Belle could offer no explanation for what happened to poor Peter Gunnis. And rumors started to circulate around town that Belle, the lady with three dead kids and one, now two, dead husbands, was probably guilty of murder. I mean, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck... Probably a duck. Probably a duck. Belle may have actually, albeit unintentionally, fanned the flames of that rumor fire when Albert Nicholson observed that at the funeral she, quote, Yump and Yiminy sat moaning with her fingers before her eyes. He could see, however, that she was peering alertly between them to check the effect she was having. Oh, that wasn't even supposed to be done in a Norwegian slash Irish accent. Albert <laughs> Albert Nicholson observed that at the funeral she, quote, sat moaning with her fingers before her eyes. He could see, however, that she was peering alertly between them <laughs> to check the effect she was having. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm not even drinking. I think, right, well, and I am. And remember, it was Albert and his dad, Swan, which I cannot get over that being a male name, mm-hmm. who had been summoned to the Gunnis farm to help Bell with Peter's burns. Albert was so sure Bell was responsible for Peter's death, he told anyone who would listen until his dad told him to knock it off. Despite rumors, common sense, and the laws of physics, Peter's death was determined to be an accident, and he was put into the ground. A few months later, another child, this one a baby boy, appeared at the Gunnis household. A midwife was summoned to assist with the birth and discovered when she got there that the baby was already washed and dressed and that Belle was up and around. Jenny Gunnis made the announcement about the birth to a neighbor who ran over to help out and was shocked to find Belle out back washing clothes, unlike most women who had just had a baby. Also, a few other neighbors visited and couldn't help but notice that the baby, who Belle named Philip, looked pretty big to be a newborn. So people decided that, well, he was probably adopted and the tactful thing would be not to say anything about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So at this they point, didn't have DHS back then. At this point, I don't know where the baby came from, and I don't know if I'll have an answer to that yet or not. We'll have to wait till next week. Now back to Peter's death. Even though the verdict at the hearing was accidental death by meat grinder, not everyone was on board with that particular ruling, like his brother, for instance. That's right. Peter had a brother named Goost, and he didn't believe for a second that the death was an accident. Way to go, Brother Goost. Yeah. 
Remember, when Belle and Peter got married, Peter had a baby girl named Jenny. Um, so Belle had Jenny, who she had adopted, and then Peter had a baby girl named Jenny from his wife who had uh, died when Jenny was just eight oh, months old. Right. They were both named Jenny. Yeah. And five days after the wedding, baby Jenny turned up dead. That's right. So Goost was a tad bit worried about his niece, young Swanhild, who was just five years old at this time. Also, before Peter married Belle, he took out a $2,500 life insurance policy and named little Swan as the beneficiary. Goost didn't trust that Belle would make sure the money ended up with Swan. And so he traveled from Minneapolis to Laporte and stayed on with Belle for a few days. Sadly, when he asked about the policy, Belle couldn't give him a straight answer. She said Peter turned the policy over to a mining company, and if it ever paid out, well, Swan would be a rich little girl. Yet, Belle was unable to produce the paperwork for the deal that was made. But Belle tried to soothe things over with Goost. He could just stick around and help run the farm if he wanted to. Goost didn't stick around, saying later on, I didn't like her eyes. He disappeared one night while the house slept, taking young Swan with him. Smart man. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Belle's issues with her neighbors had never been overly friendly, but they worsened as time passed. She had the rare gift of being able to piss off everyone she met. And that is a gift. So let's. <laughs> it is a gift. So let's talk about her neighbors, the Deaslands, for a minute. Belle had heifers, and those heifers kept getting into the Deaslands' fields. So Mr. Deasland warned Belle that if it continued, he'd charge her rent for the cow's use of his land. Rightly so. Mm -hmm. She didn't really believe him, and the cows wandered over to his land again as cows are apt to do. Yes. And he did the only thing he could. He penned them up and refused to release them to Belle unless she paid him a dollar in rent. I totally agree with that. Farming's very expensive. Agreed. This pissed Belle off like nobody's business. So she got even by herding Mr. Deaslin's cows, who were out on the road, into her own pen and refused to release them. This, in turn, infuriated Mr. Deaslin, and he ignored Belle's demand to stay back when he came over to get his cows, demurring only when she pointed a revolver at him and threatened to shoot. And as for the Nicholsons, Swan and son Albert, Belle's pigs kept getting into their corn. So just like Mr. Deaslin, Mr. Nicholson penned in her pigs, and drove to town to tell the law about the widow's damned livestock. And as a result, Belle had to pay $11 in damages, and the families never spoke again. Now, when what time frame is this again? Because $11 was a lot back then. Yep, so this is like the 1903-1904 era. Okay. Poor Belle. She did the best she could to run the farm without a man. But it was hard going. So in 1904, she placed an ad in the Norwegian paper, The Scandinavian, asking for a hand to come and help her out. It wasn't long before Olaf Lindbach 
A 30-year-old Norwegian immigrant answered the ad, ready, willing, and able to be a farm laborer. Neighbors noticed almost right away he and Belle were awfully chummy. He even wrote to his dad back in Norway and said he might just be getting married soon. WTF. Yes. I guess this is kind of like people, women who go onto those sugar daddy sites. And Mm -hmm. Belle was a sugar mama, Mm -hmm. basically, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Because I could not marry somebody I was not attracted to. Exactly. I just, I just could not. Oh my God. Yeah. I think it ended up being more like people would do it more as like a a sensible business arrangement in this time to Uh settle a piece of Uh land and that. Around town, Olaf presented himself as master of the Gunnis farm and didn't bother correcting anyone who referred to him as Belle's fiance, even though that had never been formally announced. Oh, and by the way, Olaf brought along $600 with him, which was his entire life savings. He clearly intended to stay for the long term. So imagine everyone's surprise when Belle reached out to one of the few neighbors she hadn't alienated, which means she didn't kill his children. Chris Christofferson, not the 1970s country singer, to say she needed help with the harvest. Olaf, she reported, just up and left right in the middle of plowing the corn. Mm-hmm. He that left? Ba- that bastard. Chris was perplexed, but agreed to help get the harvest in. A few months later, Olaf's father sent Belle a letter oh. asking about his son. And Belle responded he'd gone west, but that was all she knew. Mr. Christofferson was at the Gunnis farm again to help out in 1905 when a new fella showed up. So he didn't really leave. Andy, she you just keep you just got to keep I going know. with the script. Very, I'm very Twitter-pated right now with the whole thing. This was Henry Gerholt. Gerholt. Gerholt, and he carried a big old trunk with him. Chris had excellent recall about this a few years later because he had to help haul that thing up to the second floor to the bedroom Gerholt would be using. And those trunks, they are heavy because, remember, they're not plastic like they are today. I mean, or resin. They were made out of some heavy-duty something, whatever they were made out of. (laughs) Something. Something not resin. Gerholt wrote to his mom and reported he was doing great. The farm was awesome. The house was awesome. And he was happy. Christofferson would later recall seeing Belle and Gerholt together pretty much all the time. But by harvest time, she showed up at the Christofferson farm to ask for harvest help once again. Someone needed to help her stack the fucking oats because Gerholt had taken off. The pair had a conversation where Christofferson asked, Does Christofferson have an ethnicity I should be aware of? Christofferson would be Norwegian, yes. Did he leave you at such a time when he had just cut the oats? Jumpin' Yemeni. He said he was sick and couldn't do the work. Apparently, he just decided he'd had enough and took off for Chicago, leaving his trunk behind. Later, Chris noticed Belle wearing Gerholt's big winter coat, which should have, by rights, been with Gerholt. So he asked her, 
WTF, Belle? What's with the coat? And Belle said she had no idea why he left the coat. But she did admit slight surprise that Gerholt hadn't written to ask about it. Hmm. And then things got really weird. Because remember, people, this is back in the early 1900s where there is not a Burlington Coat Factory in every large city. No, you had one coat and it lasted you a few decades. Yeah. So this showed up in that Scandinavian or that Norwegian paper, the Scandinavian Wanted, a woman who owns a beautifully located and valuable farm in first-class condition, wants a good, reliable man as partner in same. Some little cash is required and will be furnished first-class security. Bell received up to eight letters a day at times, and it wasn't long before all sorts of men started showing up at the farm. There was George Berry who brought 1500 in cash, which is 46000 <laughs> bucks today. I've had a day. Leave me alone. He was followed by... 46000 He was followed by Christian Hilkven, who sold his farm for $2,000, $62,000 today. Christian told friends and family he was headed off to Indiana to marry a rich, fat, stubby-toed, smelly, bitchy widow. And they were all super happy for him. Exactly. No, she didn't write that. It's just he was off to marry a rich widow. Right. Next came Emil Tell. He quit his job at the furniture store where he worked and took the $2,000 he had to his name to Indiana to meet up with Bill. I'm just thinking he was road tripping. Mm-hmm. Road trip. I wonder if he went with a friend. Probably not. Probably not. Oh, Oli Budsberg. Oli Budsberg. <laughs> I don't think that's what they called him. <laughs> it was Oli. Oli. Yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking. Um, you know, Aesop's Fables. Okay, Oli Budsberg came next with $1,000 in his pocket, and next came Joe Moe, who also brought $1,000. Stop laughing at me and my accent. It should be John Moe. Oh. <laughs> I am Ron Burgundy, and I read what's on the fucking script, people. Ole, 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 is that how you pronounce it? Ole, Ole, Ole. Oli Budsberg came next with $1,000 in his pocket. And next came John Moe, who also brought $1,000. Belle introduced all these men as her cousins, hailing from various places. Sadly, they all shared the family trait of just up and leaving without their trunks. So let's um, let's just take a break here and legit or bullshit. What do we think is happening at the Gunnis Farms? Why do all these cousins leave their trunks behind? I think that she uses them and gets fiddled with a little bit and then says, Dude, your shit stinks. You got to go. She's probably using them as like how you can order vibrators online now. That wasn't a thing back then. And so whenever she got tired of one model or... Its batteries died. She just sent for another. She just never met. Because if they did that with her, 
They probably ended up impotent anyway for the rest of their short lives. For sure. I mean, there's got to be, if you're that overweight and that small of feet. And I, I'm a big foot person because I have big feet. So I'm all in with women who have big feet. So don't hate on us. Um, you don't have big feet. You have average size feet. I have feet. like an eight and a half I, or an eight and a nine. I have an eight and a nine. Well, that's slow. I, I have think two different size feet. Average is what? Seven, eight. seven and a half. So, okay. I think so average is eight. So you're average to slightly above. I'm average. I know it. I'm below average. You are below me. You have been for quite a while. <laughs> so um, clearly we think she's using them and discarding them. Um, Who's the woman that Charlize Theron? Eileen Thornos? Is that the serial killer that oh, she portrayed? Yes. Yeah. So it reminds me of her. Now, she was apparently a lesbian who took all of her anger out on men. I don't know if that's necessarily what's going on with Belle. I feel like she's, this is just her means to survival. And she keeps like leveling up like in a video game. She wants to keep leveling up. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think that there's anger involved here. I think this is very methodical and strategical, and she's a narcissistic psycho psychopath, sociopath. I agree. Yeah. Whatever we think went on, we know there were lots and lots of men who showed up. Emil Greening, resident of Laporte, said this. Mrs. Gunness. <laughs> Spelled it wrong. <laughs> Mrs. Gunnis received visitors all the time. A different man came nearly every week to stay at the house. She introduced them as cousins from Kansas, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Chicago, which is super interesting because she's from a whole nother continent. Most of the men that came brought trunks with them. Mrs. Gunnis kept the cousins with her all the time in the parlor or her bourgeois bedroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was always right. She was always careful to make the children stay away from her cousins. There were about fifteen trunks, and one room was packed full of all kinds of men's clothing. Mrs. Gunnis said that the cousins left their clothes, and she wasn't certain when. They'd be back for them. Well, isn't that an interesting little detail there? Hmm. One day, Belle hired a local man to help her dig some rubbish pits in her hog pen. And she was very specific about what she wanted. Each pit needed to be six feet long, four feet wide, and three feet deep. The local man never saw what she buried there. I think that if somebody hires you to dig a, something in their backyard, you just should say, you know what, hire a company to come do this. Well, and also, you totally need to call Digger's Hotline first so that... Well, for sure. Back then, they probably didn't have Digger's Hotline because they didn't have any buried wires or whatnot. They didn't have any buried wires. Yeah. But... No, for sure. I agree 100%. I'm just saying. By the time 1906 rolled around, Belle's foster daughter, Jenny, was sweet 16 and smoking hot. 
Emil Greening, the observant man who noticed all the trunks, came a courtin', as did a young man named John Widener. Jenny was fond of both boys, but shared she was sad that Belle would be sending her to California to go to college. But to anyone worried about a young maid traveling across country by herself, Jenny said there was nothing to worry about. Belle had arranged for one of the college professors to come all the way to Laporte to escort Jenny safely to her new home. Well, right before Christmas, a rumor spread that the professor had arrived. Emil rushed to the Gunnis farm to bid Jenny farewell, but Jenny was already gone with the phantom professor. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Young John Weedner also hurried to the farm to say goodbye and was quite sad to discover Jenny was gone. After all, she had asked him specifically to come to see her off. John wrote to Jenny after this, but didn't hear anything back. Interestingly, no one ever saw the professor and no one saw Jenny leave. And in 1907, John ran into Mrs. Gunnis and asked why Jenny hadn't answered any of his letters. Well, I heard you got married and I wrote to tell her. What? I didn't get married. My brother did. Oh, oops, silly me. I'll write to tell her. But John never heard from Jenny again. Legit or bullshit this. What would you do with 15 trunks full of men's clothes? I would probably have a big garage sale. In 19-oh-whatever-it-is? I would probably donate them to orphanages or the church. Okay, yeah, that's that's totally legit. Where would you hide the bodies? (laughs) (laughs) Where would you hide the bodies? (laughs) I'd probably, honestly, either bury them under the house or cut them up and burn them. And then feed the bones to the pigs. That's what I would do. I'd just feed them to the pigs. I'd just cut them up and feed them to the pigs. Only because I watched that documentary about that serial killer in Canada mm-hmm. did that. Okay. And if you killed Jenny, where would you put her clothes and where would you put her body? That one's tougher because Jenny would have been known by the locals. Because she was... You know. She lived. She there. was like a late teen, early twenties now, right? Yeah, Is that was, what we're talking about? She was sixteen. So her clothes I would burn because we can't just give those to the church. The church would recognize no. that they belong to Jenny. No. And so her body, same thing. Bury it or burn it under the house. Uh, burn the clothes, bury the body, cut it up. How many children does she have right now? She How has, many are we talking? She has Jenny, she has Philip, and she has what, two others? So she's got four, I think, right now. Okay, so how would you keep all this stuff hidden from the other children? Because they are not being distracted by technology right now. I would guess that she would, I would keep them busy on the farm doing stuff, and I'd wait till they went to bed at night to kill my whoever. But yeah, that's just I think me. That's, how would you do it? I think that's believable. Well, yeah, you could do that, or, I mean, depending on the ages, because is the one that she had when Peter died, is is that baby still alive and kind of young? Yeah. So she or did has, that baby die? I think she has. So she, it was two who died. And then she had, um, it was a boy and a girl who died. And I think she's got two girls and Jenny. So I think she has, and then Philip. 
the one she adopted. So she's the one got she, four. So she has Jenny, okay. two little girls, and then Philip. And Philip's the youngest. He's probably just a toddler right now or preschooler. Okay. Okay. Because I was thinking that you could, I mean, because she does, I mean, she's the mom, right? So she's got access to the food and all that stuff, but it doesn't really say anything about her adding any herbs or anything to make them sleep. So I agree with you. She probably just kept him busy on the farm doing something. You know, now that you say it, she could have cooked up everybody and fed the kids and then just buried the bones in those rubbish pits in the yard. That is so dark. Well, I'm just there. being practical here, Andy. What did we say? Step one is commit murder. Step three is get away with it. It's step two where everybody fucks up. Everybody. We have to explore all everybody options. Everybody fucks up on two. Yeah. For step two. Yeah, she she very well could have cut them up and like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm just and saying. The chili cook-off thing. That's right. Yeah. You just... Mm-hmm. Cook them down. No, she very well could have because she clearly has no inner voice that says, oh, that's wrong. Don't do that. She doesn't have that voice. No, she doesn't. At all. All right. Yeah, so, she's something. So let's fast forward to June 1907. Bell had spied Ray Lampier on the street a few times. He was wiry and rangy and a drunk, but... She needed help on the farm, so she asked him to come and work for her. He had some carpentry skills, and she figured he'd be an asset to the farm. I am so dirty-minded at this moment in time because carpentry skills, he nailed her. Uh, he did I'll nail say. it. And it wasn't long before Ray bragged around town that not only... Was he working on the farm? Why would you brag about that? He was also doing the no-pants dance on the reg with the hefty widow. She must have had some good tits. Uh, she must have. I mean, like 14 karat gold pillows right there. Something. Good for motorboating, I'm guessing. The, I mean, all the descriptions that I've read of her on my own. What was that? Did you hear that? I did. What the hell was that? It's the first sign of demon... Uh, invasion. <laughs> that's what that, that's what the fuck that really? is. I think, Andy, the reason that these men were so, first of all, access to sex, right? Sex without marriage was um, frowned upon. Uh, right. And whorehouses were frowned upon. They've, right. they don't know anybody. Here's a woman who could potentially bring them in as co-owner of this 45 acre piece of land. That is wealth. So I think that th these these men entered into this, not Ray, because Ray didn't have any, not this guy. He was just kind of a town drunk that she hired as right. a true handyman. But the right. men, and he was local, so she wouldn't have killed him or, or anything. She, she's going to okay. leave him alone. But okay. the men who answer the ad, answer that ad thinking, I am going to invest in this farm as a partner with the potential for becoming a, a married couple that was just like a, a thing you know i need somebody to help me on this <sighs> homestead yeah and it was it, there were business deals all the time for marriage i mean we know that working at the nursing home yeah i mean that's um that's, that that's what happened it's just so foreign yeah. thankfully foreign now that we don't as women we don't have to do that right 
but I think that these men were kind of thinking, this is a way for me to get ahead. I'm, yeah. you know, and a lot of them were younger than her. Not all of them, but a lot of them were quite a bit younger than she was. And we're thinking, yeah, okay, I can marry her. She can't live forever. I get her pregnant. Maybe she'll die in childbirth and then fine. <laughs> And none of them, Cheer of course, everybody seemed to know what they were going for. She put an ad in there saying, right. there's potential for this. Bring your money. Invest in this. You can be a partner. So then. Right. right. All right. <clears throat> but wait a minute. We do need to back up again for just a second. Back in 1906, before Jenny disappeared and before Ray came to live on the farm, Belle started writing to a gentleman by the name of Andrew Helgelian. Andrew was a 49-year-old wheat farmer from South Dakota. And while Belle was arranging for Jenny to go to college, and all during the time Ray Lampier was on the farm, Belle was corresponding with Andrew, sending him letter after letter in an effort to entice him to the farm. Now, Mr. Helgillian. Helgillian, thank you, wasn't an average Joe. He had spent 10 years in prison for robbing the Red Wing post office and later setting the building on fire. (laughs) Oh, that's a good Friday night. Andrew responded to her ad and she wrote back explaining that she had a beautiful home right in the midst of where the rich people have their fine summer homes. All kinds of fruit trees abound here and good new houses with all improvement and fine boulevard roads. I'm sorry, Norway. I love you. I love you, Norway. She also said that her 45-acre farm was 75 acres. So she's lying. Mm -hmm. And was worth far more than was actually truly accurate. She lied. Which is interesting because I would think that 45 acres back then would be a lot. After she spewed all that bullshit, she invited him to tell her more about himself. She also asked how much exactly he'd be willing to invest in their partnership. Okay, so if I sleep with you, how much are you going to invest up front? Exactly. And we don't know exactly what Mr. Helgelian said to win Belle's affection, but her response indicates she was quite satisfied. Dear friend, you impress me with being a good man with a strong and honest character, a real genuine Norwegian in every respect, and it is difficult to find such a man and not every woman appreciates. There are plenty of these American dudes around here, but I would not even look at them no matter how often they asked me. I'm just picturing her looking at the dudes. Oh, my God. It's just so funny. This needs to be a movie. It really does. It probably is somewhere. She went on to explain that the weather was perfect. Winters were mild and the summers were not nearly as hot as the summers in South Dakota. Well, that's just not geographically correct at all and everyone who bought land just a couple of years ago were now millionaires she recommended he get all of his money out of the bank as soon as possible and get his norwegian ass to laporte 
About a month after they first started corresponding, Belle was feeling affectionate and possibly aroused, although we'll let you be the judge. I long so to know you better, but I will try to wait with patience until you get here. I have now thrown away all the other answers I got and keep all of yours in a secret place by themselves. You truly do not know how highly I prize them, as I have not found anything so genuinely Norwegian and real in all the 20 years I have been in America. She promised to make him really happy and make him cream pudding and other good things. But if he wanted her pudding, he would have to promise to keep their arrangement a secret. That's right. Because nobody needs to be knowing I'm going down on that hoe. <laughs> Andrew lived with a brother and worked his farm. And Belle really wanted their early days together to be sequestered in carnal bliss. The song Gorilla Love from Bruno Mars. Their carnal bliss. Bruno Mars, Gorilla Loves, comes to mind. So she admonished, not abonished, admonished him to keep it on the down low. Like totally down low. Tell no one at all, ever. It is so much pleasure to keep this secret to ourselves and to see how surprised everyone will be when they find out. Now, sell all that you can get cash for, and if you have much left, you can easily take it with you, as we will soon sell it here and get a good price on everything. Leave neither money or stock up there, but make yourself free from Dakota so you will have nothing more to bother with up there. Has she told him where to stand in the kitchen so that thing can drop on him? <laughs> Not yet. In the right place. Okay. In October. Helgelian. But also, Helgelian. I want to back up for a second. Because there's there's this big red X in the kitchen, and she makes all of her men stand in that spot. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Has she pulled them over there and said, she doesn't tell them right away. She doesn't tell them until they write. And then they always have to stand in that spot. In that spot. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm thinking is exactly what happened. Okay. In October, Helgelian was ill and his travel to Indiana was delayed. Come alone. Do not take anyone from Oop there with you before we become a little acquainted. Oh, was that right? That was right. That I mean, was, not the accent, but, but it, was I supposed to use an accent? It was beautiful. Yes, it was. It really was. It's. I, it's I felt right like I was in the rugged, wintry, Norwegian climate right there. I, I had to look around and go, "What? Where am I?" I'm I think Norway. so. I, I'm back I in Nebraska. I the, bam! I have the correct bra on. I think that's why it is. That's why. But winter. Oh, winter was coming. Isn't that from that one Game of risque Thrones. show? Huh? Game of Thrones. Yeah. But winter was coming, and Andrew just couldn't make the journey. Ah, Belle began to panic a little, and her letters became slightly risque. This is a secret between us and no one else. Probably we will have many other secrets between us. Not so, dear friend. 
We will have many things between us which no one else will know, which we will enjoy, won't we, my dearest friend? I will surely see to it that you will enjoy yourself. I will give you lots of pudding when you get here. Come and have some pudding. I make the best pudding. She makes cream pudding. <laughs> she does. Okay, so, well, well, well. Remember, Belle was still shacking up with, oh, she was still shacking up with William Peer, the skinny drunk. Yeah, she's just at corresponding this at this time. So she's, she's. So no. she's shacking up with the one dude mm-hmm. and doing Ray Lampier. Oh my God! No, Ray. she's no, she's writing letters to Andrew and shacking oh, yeah, yeah, up yeah. with Ray. She's sh- right. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean shacking up. I meant corresponding. So Ray had no idea about Bell's communication with Helgillian. Helgillian. Spring 1907 came, then summer, and still Andrew delayed his travel. By September, Belle was frustrated and accused him of not wanting to be in a relationship with her. Oh, he's, she's gaslighting him. She threatened to diss him on Instagram if this kept up. That's right. You are not going to get any likes, dude, because I'm going to show your true colors, you abusive son of a bitch, is what he's, she's doing. He's pissing a bitch off. And so, yep. at last, in January of 1908... Andrew Helgelian arrived in La Porte, Indiana. Ray Lampier was just lighting the stove in the kitchen one morning when Helgelian strode in, wearing a heavy fur coat that stretched to his shins. He was all that, baby. Belle was all smiles. Ray, she said, would be sleeping in the barn from now on, and Andrew would be taking the farmhand's room on the second floor. Ray was a bit surprised at the sudden change. After all, he had enjoyed that second-floor bedroom for quite some time, and Belle often came to his bed at night for servicing. But alas, all good things must come to an end, and Ray was kicked to the curb. Poor Ray. Yep. Frank Pittner was a man who worked at the First National Bank of Laporte as a cashier. And on Monday, January 6th, just three days after Andrew arrived at the Gunnis Farm, Bell wandered in with him and the pair slapped down three certificates of deposit from Aberdeen, South Dakota. Andrew wanted to cash those mothers out for their full value. Mr. Pittner explained that to cash them in full would take a few days because he'd have to send them off to the issuing bank for collection. Andrew was totally fine with this, but Belle was really upset about it. Uh, The cash arrived on January 11th, but Belle and Andrew didn't show up again until the 14th. When Pittner asked why they didn't come in if they'd been in such a hurry for the money, Andrew explained that he had been ill for the last few days, which is why they delayed. The amount that had arrived was $2,839, which is over 75000 in today's money. Pittner said, hey, how's about a cashier's check? But Belle was having none of that. She said they wanted cash, cold, 
hard cash, which honestly is a little difficult to handle. I mean, you got to put that gummy stuff on your fingers or use that rubber thimble that you put on your thumb to count it. Exactly. I swear they iron that shit in the bank. So the banker dealt it all out and the pair left. And they didn't have enough cash. Actually, this was this would be like going into a bank and asking for $75,000 in cash. That's a lot of freaking cash. So the bank gave them as much cash, but they also gave them a bunch of coin as well, like gold coins as well. So that afternoon, Belle sent Ray Lampier to meet a cousin of hers in Michigan City to trade a horse of hers for another one. But she gave strict instructions that if for some unforeseen reason the cousin didn't show that day, Ray should stay overnight in a hotel and meet up with him the next day for the trade. Okay, well, we know that her cousins aren't really her cousins. Right. And we also know that there's probably not going to be anybody showing up. She's getting Ray out of the farm, off the farm for a reason here. Okay. So the cousin wasn't at the livery barn. Livery barn? Livery barn. Livery. But Ray hung around Michigan City for a while, drinking at a pub, and then taking in a show. But at 8 p.m., he decided he didn't feel like sleeping at the hotel and headed back to the Gunnis farm. He wanted to see what Belle was up to. Oh, maybe he does have a little bit of a brain. I kind of think he does. Interestingly, although we don't know at this time what Ray found back at the house or what he saw, we do know that after this night, Belle was out to get him and that no one saw Mr. Helgelian again, ever. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Bell had wanted Andrew to keep their plans secret, so he had told his brother, Astley, that he was leaving, but would be back in a week. He offered no information on where he was going. After 10 days, Astley began to wonder what happened to his brother, and a local farmhand on Andrew's farm was wondering how long he was going to have to tend the livestock without the assistance of his boss. A search of Andrew's cabin turned up all the letters he had received from Bell. Now, at the time Astley and the farmhand were discovering that Andrew was missing, Ray Lampier was fighting with Belle about something. We don't know what. Maybe she didn't pay him what she owed. Maybe he was horny and she no longer came to his bed. Maybe he saw something that night he shouldn't have seen. But whatever the reason, she fired him and they had a huge fight, like a huge fight. The fight was so big, in fact, that Ray left everything there and just went back to town. He just, he left his shit and disappeared. Well, didn't disappear, but he disappeared from the farm. He left his trunk. He, yes, left his shit there and ran away. Okay, so Joseph Maxson. Show this is a new dude mm-hmm. showed up to the farm and took up residence in the second floor bedroom. Oh, that's just not cool. Mm-mm. That is cursed. That is a bedroom that is cursed. It is. And Ray, well, he hired an attorney to help him with Bell. The lawyer said, quote, You should return to the farm, demand your money and belongings, and if refused, inform Miss Gunness that you are prepared to file a replevin suit. This that is. this is a suit to get money you're owed from someone who refuses to pay. Okay, so Ray did this, but Belle got angrier with him, and she wrote to the sheriff, Albert 
Smutzer, saying that her former handyman was totally harassing her and something needed to be done about it. But unfortunately for her, the Me Too movement hadn't, hadn't happened yet. Right. The next month, Bell caught Ray skulking around her farm and had him arrested for trespassing. In court, Ray pled guilty and was fined a dollar plus court costs. Along about the same time, Astley had tracked down where Bell lived and had written to her asking about his brother. Bell responded, saying she'd like to know also where the hell Andrew was. Apparently, Andrew left to search for another brother who was a professional gambler. Of course, Mm -hmm. Andrew reportedly planned to search Chicago and New York, but that if he found the brother had returned to Norway, Andrew would go after him. Also, Andrew wrote to Belle telling her not to try to write to him until he wrote to her because he really had no idea where he would end up. This search for the brother was likely to last decades. (laughs) decades. <laughs> he didn't really For say that, sure. but I'm sure Bell tried to convey that it was going to just, the search was going to just have no so idea. sure. He's probably yeah. on a boat to Norway. I don't know where he is. Mm-hmm. Well, right after Bell sent that letter to Astley, she filed to have Ray declared insane. She wow. said Ray told her things that were unreasonable and stalked her property, peeking in her windows and committing misdemeanors. But... Oh. Bo Bowell, remember him? He's the guy who thought Peter's death looked a little funny. Well, uh-huh. he evaluated Ray and found him to be not insane. What are Bo Bowell's credentials? He's a doctor and the coroner. He's a physician. Okay. All right, got it. Okay, this was followed by a ruling of the Insanity Commission. It There's an Insanity Commission? I know, right? Who knew? Who knew? Which reported, We found the patient quiet, clean and neat. He is highly nervous. His memory is good for recent and remote events. Speech is intelligent and coherent. Ray Lampier is not insane. Because I think the definition isn't the definition of insanity a little bit to do with do you understand the difference between right and wrong? Yes. She was she was out to get Ray for some reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Bell was unhappy with the declaration of the Insanity Commission. Mm-hmm. So she had Ray arrested again in April, accusing him once again of trespassing. And while Ray awaited trial... Astley wrote to Bell again, asking for the letter that Andrew had written, the letter saying she shouldn't write until she heard from him. Sadly, Bell said Ray Lampier stole that letter, so she couldn't prove, so she couldn't provide it. Hmm. And Bell received another blow when, at Ray's trial for trespassing. She was cross-examined by attorney Wirt Warden, who asked her about Peter Gunnis's death, Mads Sorensen's death, and by the way, where is your daughter Jenny? Yeah, so number one, listeners, you're just going to have to deal with the paper shredding that's going on behind me. That is my puppy, Pearl, who thinks she is all that and a bag of chips. 
All right. So this line of questioning by Wirt was objected to in the fullest, but it had the desired effect on Bell. Bell was rattled. Shit was about to hit the fan in a big way. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. And I'm sure since she was a narcissistic psychopath, she probably didn't think that that was going to happen. But it did. It totally did. Oh, yeah. And that is where we will leave it for today. Next week, we'll find out how Belle tries to get away with multiple, multiple murders and the discovery of the murder farm and its aftermath. Oh, my gosh. So what do we think of Belle so far? Is she burying these bodies by herself? Did Ray skulk around her farm to find something on her? Is that why he was trespassing? Was he looking for the bodies? Did he see Andrew murdered or possibly his dead body the night he came back early from town? And if so, why didn't he go to the authorities? Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, these are just questions I have. I don't know that we can, you know, elaborate any more on them or not, but I kind of have to wonder. I think that if her children are old enough, she's employing her children to help her bury the bodies. Or, like you said, burning and feeding them to the pigs. Yeah, something's going down. I guess, you. so next week, I haven't read ahead. I try and just find, uh, I try and read to a good stopping place. So next week, we get to the solution of the crime, the discovery of the farm, and we will find out what happened to these bodies. I mean, I... I've heard of this story before, but I don't know how it ends. I don't know. So I'll be finding it out with any of our readers who also don't know, although I'm guessing a lot of them do, our listeners. Did I call you guys readers? Sorry. Although I'm sure you all can read just fine. I've got a puppy here tearing my office apart. Okay. So reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or email us at Jen and Andy at Ichabod'sHouse.com. Please do so. We love to hear from you guys. We do. Until next time, remember Ichabod loves you. Carry a flashlight and always bring extra pants. (laughs) 